You're listening to episode 20 of the Broken Glass Podcast, adapting to the new music industry with Lauren Lucas. You're listening to the Broken Glass Podcast, a podcast with a mission to highlight women in the music industry through their stories, from their successes to their trials and tribulations. We'll share tools and resources available to you to make your music dream job come to life or to start that business you've always wanted to own. But most of all, you'll be a part of the Broken Glass community where we support and encourage each other and open the doors to working in music. I'm your host, Christy Jacobson, entrepreneur, music lover, wonderluster, and dreamer. Welcome to the show. Are you looking for a virtual assistant who understands release schedules, copyrights, licensing, and other aspects of the music industry? Or how about someone who can write, proofread, and content edit your music industry-themed blog posts, articles, and business documents? You are in the right place. Broken Glass Media has officially launched service offerings specific to the music industry. Visit the services page at brokenglassmedialc.com slash work-with-me to learn about services in business writing, virtual assistance, and social media. Do you love this podcast? Do you want to hear more actionable advice, interviews with kick-ass women, stay up-to-date on the music industry, and get some swag? Head on over to our Patreon page to become a patron today. With several tiers available, there are options for every budget. Visit www.patreon.com slash thebrokenglasspodcast to become a patron and help us help you. Welcome back to the Broken Glass Podcast. Today's episode is with Nashville-based singer-songwriter Lauren Lucas, and I absolutely love talking to her because we really dove into the history of country music scene from the mid to late 90s onward, and we discussed the changes in the music industry and how she's successfully adapted to the new, I guess you could say, structure or model for releasing music. It was an amazing conversation that left me totally feeling energized by the end. But before we get to the interview, I know that a lot of you have crazy schedules like me, full-time jobs and side hustles, or you're a musician who heads to gigs or into the recording studio right after work, and some of you are students working or interning so you can have your shot in the industry. And all of that can get overwhelming. We get burned out or stressed because we can't tick off everything on our to-do list, and we forget appointments because we have so much to do. When I started the podcast, I was in the same boat. So when I was ready to launch the virtual assistant services, I knew I had to make some changes because there was no way I could successfully add client work into an already insane schedule and have it be my best work. I dove into online systems, prioritized my day, my week, and I really figured out what I could cut out to make it work. And it helped me 100%. So I wanna share these tips with you. I'm working on the guide now, but you can sign up for the waitlist at brokenglassmediallc.com slash takebackyourday to receive my free how to take back your day in just five minutes guide. It'll be ready soon and in your inbox before you know it. And now here's Lauren. All right. Well, welcome back to the Broken Glass podcast for another episode. Uh, I have Lauren Lucas here with me today. So Lauren, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and what you're doing right now. Yeah. Hi. Um, so uh, I am currently in Nashville. I've been here um, actually 20 years this year. I can't believe it. Um, but I'm originally from Columbia, South Carolina and um, started coming to Nashville as a teenager. I got signed actually to my first deal when I was a teen um, because Leanne Rhymes had hit it big and a lot of the publishing houses and labels were looking for their own teenager uh, for their own roster. Uh, and so I really fit that demographic and um, just kind of fell into um, a lot of luck and um, learned a ton from the pros here and then decided to go to Belmont University and moved to Nashville um, officially in 99. So um, through all that, I have had a major label experience and a radio tour and um, nationwide touring. Um, and then I've also had an indie career making indie EPs and singles. Um, I've been in a band, I've done a solo career. I've just, I've had a very um, varied and rich experience in the music business over the years. I've written for different publishing companies for other artists and had things placed in TV and film and other artist projects. So I've um, been lucky enough to, to kind of taste a little bit of uh, a lot of sides of the music business. Yeah, you sound like you've been very busy um, and really, really got to see the industry and how it works from, you know, from the beginning, kind of really. 
Yeah, you know, I came when I was coming to um, Nashville as a teenager, it was the 90s. And um, man, it was like, money was growing on trees here. It, you know, the big <laughs> country boom had happened, Garth Brooks and Shania Twain, and you know, all the things were happening. And mm-hmm. um, they were pretty, uh, um, I don't know if lenient's the word, but very gracious with their um, offers. I mean, just all kinds of people were getting signed and you could make money off of deep album, you know, uh, not cuts, but um just, just having a song on an album, you could make, you know, a fair amount of money. You didn't have to have a, a single out on an artist. Um, and so a, a lot's changed. And I've, and I've um, been fortunate enough, I guess, I, it's fortunate <laughs> to kind of experience that, that whole wave up until now. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I grew up on, you know, Girth Brooks and Shania Twain and all that. Um, so I definitely remember that, that big boom. We were a big uh, country music family. Um, oh yeah. yeah. So yeah, we, you know, I saw that, um, my mom's cousin, uh, at some point, I can't remember quite remember when, but she, um, traveled from Alberta, Canada to Nashville to record. And, and I think it was kind of right around that time in the early two thousands as well. So, um, yeah, I definitely remember that whole, that whole boom. Um, that's amazing. You got to be kind of a part of it and really see that. Um, so kind of let's take a little bit back to the beginning too. And um, were you always a singer? Or did you play other instruments? How did you really get kind of started in music? So I was a total musical theater nerd as a kid. I um, was, you know, jazz hands, super dramatic, musical theater, Judy Garland, Bernadette Peters, um, old MGM movies. I just was enthralled with all that stuff. And I, I started doing community theater in my hometown, Columbia, South Carolina, um, when I was three years old. My older sister auditioned for a community theater show, and um, I went to the audition with my mom. I don't remember this. I just kind of know it from hearing this family story so many times, I guess, over the years. But um, apparently I was sitting in the audience with my mom and saw all these other kids and adults auditioning for this musical review and thought it looked fun and wanted to try. And so I got on stage at three years old and I recited the poem. Uh, there was a little girl who had a little curl right in the middle of her forehead. Do you know oh, that old yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> rhyme? And uh, they put me in the show and I just got hooked, you know, just... Um, the lights and the costumes and the other people in the show and the applause and like all the, um, you know, just the fun stuff about the entertainment business, I guess, you know, it wasn't really a business then, you know, for me then, but um, just everything about it, the stage and performance, I loved. And um, slowly but surely, you know, even though I was such a little kid, they would still at rehearsals, they would put um, sheet music in my hand, just like every other person that was rehearsing, you know, from, from me being three years old, all the way up to people in their seventies, it was this big musical review with a wide demographic of, of cast members. And they just, they'd give me sheet music, just like everybody else. And I'd pretend to read it. And, you know, <laughs> slowly, but surely I did start to learn how to read music and um, kind of train my ear somewhat naturally just from being around it. And I, I mean, the, the theater was kind of my second home. I'd go to school, I might go to like dance class after school. And then every summer I'd be at the theater doing their summer review. So that's, that's kind of how, yeah. that's kind of how my love for music and performance started. Um, and even, you know, some basic theory and music theory and that kind of stuff. Um, but at the same time, both my parents worked. Um, they're both small business owners. And my grandma took care of me a lot after school. And so she would pick me up and take me to rehearsals and shuttle me around and all the things. And um, she loved country music. And so she would have uh, the radio on in the car. And I remember the first song I remember um, when I was a kid loving on the radio was Alabama's Roll On 18 Wheeler. Oh, yeah. And, I remember that song. You know, yeah. We'd listen to Dolly Parton and, you know, just whatever was on the radio at the time in the, you know, early to mid um, 80s. So, um, so I kind of got an education both in theater and in country music at a, at a really early age and just loved both. And weirdly enough, the beginning of my career kind of paralleled both. I, I ended up, um, 
getting signed in Nashville. And at the very same time, I had auditioned for an off-Broadway show and got cast in that and it workshopped in Houston. So I moved to Houston for a few months when I was in high school and did that theater show, which ultimately led to knowing the director who ultimately directed Urban Cowboy on Broadway. And I did the, um, the workshop of, of that in New York City and got a song uh, ultimately in the score. And so kind of the first you know, several years I was, I was getting, you know, I was doing country music and doing musical theater at the same time. It was kind of weird, but awesome. Yeah. Cause I was going to ask, I saw that you, um, you had some music, you know, for Broadway and now kind of hearing your backstory of being involved in musical theater, I can understand how you, you know, went, you know, from, you know, being a singer songwriter to being involved in that project. Um, that's not something everybody can say, right? Like, you know, some people just stick with writing for a specific genre or, you know, a couple of genres, but you, I feel like you kind of took, you know, a step outside of the whole like Nashville scene and, and put yourself into a different area. And I think that's incredible. Um, what was that like, you know, writing for, for Broadway? Was that anything different than what you do writing your own songs or is it a very similar process? Um, it was maybe a little different only in that it was very specifically, they were looking for a very specific song for a very specific part in the, in the story arc. And so, um, it was Pam, the, um, the, if, if you're familiar with the movie, which was super popular in the eighties, John Travolta played the lead character, Bud. And, um, he ended up having this like affair with this cowgirl named Pam. And so this was Pam's song. So this was like a seduction song. And so they, you know, it was very specific around her character and, and the kind of the place and the story arc where they needed the the story to continue with this music. And so that was very specific. And typically you don't really, you know, experience that a lot in uh, radio type music. Um, but ultimately, I wrote it with Danny Arena and Sarah Light, who are Nashville writers as well. And so the, the process in the writing room um, felt very sim similar and pretty seamless to what I had already been doing for, for radio, you know, country type stuff. Okay. Um, and so kind of, kind of along the same lines of, of songwriting, um, I'm just curious because I'm not a songwriter. I can't write to save my life. Um, when you write, do you have like a particular process that you go for, through for each song? Like, do you sit down and say, okay, I need to have this, this, and this in order, or is it something that just comes kind of naturally to you? Like you just, you sit down with a guitar or piano and you just kind of, whatever comes to you. Um, yes, is the answer. I think ultimately it, it happens in all kinds of ways for me. Um, you know, and it also depends if I'm co-writing or if I'm writing on my own. Um, typically if I'm writing on my own, I'll just start usually strumming on the guitar or, um, I have a little bit of a melody going on, um, or sifting through some ideas and just kind of playing some words over, um, some chords or melody and just, you know, slowly but surely something starts to kind of gel and, and just fall out. And then I write very slowly by myself and I don't push to finish anything. I just kind of let the inspiration come through. And, and then when I get really stuck, I'll work for a little bit longer and see if I can get unstuck, but I don't beat myself up about it. I'll put it away and I'll go take a walk or I'll come back the next day. Or, and typically it kind of keeps tapping on my shoulder and, and it won't quite let me let it go. And so, I mean, sometimes I'll, I'll write a song literally just line by line, you know, <laughs> it, it might be a line a day. Um, and, and I just, I'm just very patient with it when it's by myself. Cause I don't really, have a reason not to be, you know, I don't have a deadline or someone else that's depending on me. I can just kind of let it evolve the way it wants right. to. Um, Co-writing is a bit different. I mean, you know, typically you make an appointment and so, you know, someone else or several other people perhaps have, have carved out time in their busy schedules as well, as well as you. And, you know, the whole goal is to get a song and, and some, you know, sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes you end up talking about life or whatever's going on and, and a song just isn't in the room. But, um, but more often than not, you know, we have 
um, little phrases or lyrics or words that have caught our attention over the last few weeks or months or even years. And I, I keep a running tally in my phone of ideas on my notes app. Um, I have voice memos of just little melody blurbs. I mean, it, it might just be a phrase or two, uh, or it might be a whole chorus, you know, and those usually come to me when I'm driving. And so I'll just kind of record them while I'm driving. And then we'll just kind of throw out all the ideas when we're together in the room. Okay. Yeah. It sounds kind of like the way for me for writing. Um, I do a lot of different blog posts and that both for my own website and for others. Um, and it's very similar. I, I keep Evernote up on my computer all the time, just in case I, I have an idea come to my head. Um, I mean, for me, it's a little, you know, when I'm driving, it's the worst. Cause I'm like, well, I can't type this out now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you um, use voice memo? I don't, but that, that is a good idea to just kind of, you know, turn it on real quick and just start talking. Um, I should really do that, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's always come to me in like the worst times. <laughs> I know, I know. And I, but I think that's so, um, I think that's so typical of just creativity. Like it, it kind of happens when you've kind of marinated on something and you don't even necessarily know you have, and then you're doing something autopilot-y. Right. And, and that's usually when stuff starts to happen. And I think, I think it's that way for writers. I, you know, I don't know about, I have a friend who's an actor out in LA and he creates, um, you know, different characters and storylines for different characters he's auditioning for, you know, I'll have to ask him if, you know, maybe that comes to him in weird moments too. But I think that's really um, typical for, for creativity Creative, to kind yeah. of sneak up on you. Yeah. And I like what you said too about, you know, kind of walking away and then coming back to it. Um, Cause I've done that before too. I've said, okay, I can't, I just can't write this right now. I can't work on this right now. I just, there's nothing coming to me stop, walk away, you know, take a day, take a week, whatever you need. Um, and I think we all just need to do that in general, right? Just, you know, press, press pause, give yourself space, and then it'll come to you eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you have new music coming out this year, or next year, if I'm correct, right? Yeah. So I just released a brand new single. Uh, it's called Go Home, Paul. Uh, I released it, I think it was August 16th was the release date. And so just a few weeks ago, and it's a digital single. So it can be found on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Google Play, just, in, you know, Pandora, I think anywhere um, digital streaming and downloads are um, found, then you can find it there. Um, and I'm, I'm taking a bit of a new approach um, of, of just releasing singles. It's that's, that's how people are listening to music more these days. And um, so I've, I've recorded several songs that are kind of waiting in the wings and I'm just going to release them um, somewhat consistently over the next year. Um, and then, I don't know, maybe I'll, I'm kind of still thinking about maybe adding a, a bonus track or two and then packaging it as a, um, an EP or an album or something later on. But for now I'm just concentrating on singles. Yeah. I've noticed that a lot with the industry. I've seen, um, you know, in different genres too, um, where it's just more of that single approach. Um, and my friend, um, has a band and he's doing that with his band, right? They don't, they're not going to sit down and record a full album. They're just working on singles. Um, and then I think it was, um, was it Sam Hunt? I noticed did the same thing. He's just been releasing singles and hasn't had a full album since his debut. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of, you know, it's, it's definitely a sh- shift, right? Like you used to have, you release a single, then you release the full album. Um, and you could maybe back in the, the day when you they had CDs, you know, at CD stores, you could get the single on a CD and then you get the full CD. Um, so I definitely think that's an interesting shift that we've seen. Um, and I guess attributed really to the whole culture of download and streaming, right? For sure. You know, I mean, if, if you put a whole record out on... Apple Music, let's say, um, and you make all the songs available. I mean, like, you're kind of blowing it all at the front, you know, like, I mean, people can just kind of cherry pick whatever they want to hear. And that's and and they do. And that's what I think people in the industry found is that people are just kind of cherry picking what they want to listen to. And, um, you know, I think it's just the the pace of our, our world, um, because of technology and because of some social media that, you know, people are just, they're in a hurry. They want instant gratification. And so they want to hear the song they want to hear right. at the time they want to hear it. And so um, it's, you know, 
in a way it, it kind of, um, makes the idea of a, um, like a themed album kind of obsolete, at least for the time being. Uh, although I completely support anybody who wants to put an album together that has a full story arc. I think those are beautiful and should still mm-hmm. be done if that's what, if that's what, it, you know, is calling you to do. Um, at the same time, I have found a lot of freedom in the singles approach as an artist. Um, because for, well, first of all, financial freedom, it's a lot more economical for me to spend a little bit of money on a couple songs and then spread them out over, let's say a year. So I have, now I have content I can share with my listeners Oh, you know, over and over, I can keep putting things out. And I, and I didn't spend just a fortune on this entire product that, you know, is seamless and, and, um, artwork and, you know, all the things it's just a bit more economical, but then even on the creative side, I also feel like I don't have to be quite so precious about it all. I don't have to make sure that I have five or 10 songs that all fit together and the tempos are varied and the key signatures are varied and all the things you think about when you're making a full album. It's like, you know what? I love this. I'm going to put it out and hope someone else loves it. And if they don't, it's cool because in 12 weeks, something new is going to be coming out for me and you can check that out instead. And so it's very, um, it's kind of cool. It just kind of keeps the creativity going. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, they always used to say what the sophomore slump, right? Like you have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of songs for your first album to pick from. And then you get to your, your sophomore album and it's like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, now I have six months to write, you know, an entire album, you know, I have to create new songs. And I think, like you said, it's very freeing. Um, it really gives you the chance to just be creative and to take your time with it. And, you know, then you don't have that too, that typical album cycle where it's, you know, record, release an album, go tour. Okay. Now what's next? Right. You, you really have, like you said, that content that just keeps, you know, coming out, you know, every couple months. And, and I, like, I think that's great. You know, it just the whole, the whole sense of freedom, which I really, you know, find, especially with, you know, my writing and that my, my own blog, um, you know, it's, it's how you want it to be. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. <laughs> um, so I it was kind of going through your your bio on your website. Now you'd been signed um, to a label, and then I read that it was shelved for a little bit. Was that correct? Or, okay. Yeah. Well, um, yes, permanently. So <laughs> it could not be found anywhere. Wow. Um, so I know <laughs> it's it, it is it's such yeah. a shame because it's like you know not only did uh, my producer Biff Watson and I and and um, you know, the me, sorry, that was not uh, grammatically correct. Um, you know, the musicians and the mixing engineer, you know, all the, all the people, um, put a lot of energy and, um, love into the project. Um, but also, you know, the label paid for it. I mean, they paid for the whole darn thing. It was complete. It was done. Um, and there was a regime change at the label. And so the guy that signed me, um, was no longer the head of the label. He moved into an A&R position and they brought someone from LA in to be the head of the label. And, you know, when that happens, it's very common. They have their own vision and their own idea of who should be signed and, you know, who they're going to put effort into. And so I was, you know, part of the old guard. Um, And, you know, there were other things on his docket that he wanted done. So um, I was on radio tour at the time. I had just released my first single, um, it was just shy at the top 40. Uh, and then they, they flipped my single and sent radio a, a, a different song, but not with like a full um, campaign kind of behind it, if right. you will. Uh, so it sent a really confusing message uh, to me, uh, but also to, I think, radio and, and everybody. And, um, and it was all while I was out on radio tour visiting, you know, all the stations across the country, um, trying to get my song, right, you know, play, song yeah. Play. That is such a shame. Yeah, so it was. Like, yeah. yeah, and and they own it, so you can't. They own the masters, right? So you can't even really get that back from them, or. That's right. They own the masters. Um, I made a an EP on my own uh, just a, a couple of years after I left the label, and I ended up re-recording the title track. It's called "The Carolina Kind." Um, and that was going to be the name of the record. And um, that was um, the the second 
single, if you will. I, I don't know. I think I had one and a half singles. I don't even know that you can say I had a second single, but anyway, it was the second single that they had released. And um, anyway, I love the song. I wrote it with Dave Berg and Deanna Bryant, and I just, it meant a lot to me. It still means a lot to me being from South Carolina. And uh, I really wanted to have that out in, into the world on my own terms. And so I did re-record that song so that I owned the master along with um, four other songs on an EP called If I Was Your Girl. Um, and that can be found on, you know, all digital right, outlets yeah. as well, even today. Yeah. Um, so are you signed with a label now or did you, are you doing this all on your own to keep your own, like we talked about freedom, right? Um, is, you know, do you do all this on your own with like the help of, of people or are you signed to another label again? So I am currently indie, so right. I am not signed to a label. Um, and yeah, just doing it on my own and making the music exactly what I want to make and the way I want to make it and, um, calling all the shots. I'm the boss now. Oh, that's amazing. That way you can get it out there. You don't have to have it sit on a shelf somewhere. Yeah. And, you know, let's be honest, I, it's, I can't get it out to the masses like a major label can, but, um, but I'm okay with that now. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I've, um, Again, I've been in town 20 years and, um, you know, my, the fans that I have are mighty and uh, loyal and I've really made some great friends mm -hmm. along the way in my fans. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm pleased to keep making the music that I want to make and putting it out as long as, as they, as they still want to listen to yeah. it. Well, it's a different world too. Like, you know, you've got the digital distribution, you can, you know, it's not just you have to have a distributor to put it into a record store somewhere, you know, and that's the only place you can get access to it. And I think, you know, especially for artists like yourself, um, independent, uh, a lot of DIY artists, I think, you know, with all the, the different options we have out there now, especially for not just releasing music, but for ways to make money, I think it's really opened a lot of doors for people um, and to build those authentic fan bases, too that will support you and keep coming back. Absolutely. And that, and that really is the key is to build authentic relationships with your fans and, and have an authentic fan base um, people. And, and there are artists making great livings um, and having very vibrant indie careers who are flying under the radar. Right. Yeah. Um, so I guess kind of going along with that, um, you know, have you seen any differences in your own, you know, process, writing, recording, marketing, and even touring um, from since that the beginning, you know, I know, it's probably a much different process when you're on your own with a label, but have you seen any kind of differences in yourself? Um, or just the way the industry is going, you know, has it been easier for you? Or has it kind of complicated it more because now you're doing it all on your own? Um, I I'm enjoying the experience I'm having making music right now, probably more than any other time. Um, and yes, definitely things have changed. Um, I mean, in my writing and in my song choices of what I've chosen to spend money on recording and releasing, um, right now I am not at all um, even considering a genre. I, I don't, you know, the late, my latest single that I just released, Go Home Paul, I, I, um, it's under singer songwriter is, is the genre on Apple music. Um, you know, a couple of other singles I'll release, you know, some sound more country, some sound more indie folk or folk pop, you know, like, you know, and, and I've also noticed other artists kind of changing their category, depending on the, the single they're releasing. And I think that's really cool. And again, kind of speaks to that freedom. Um, and so, you know, again, whereas if I'm making a full record or if I'm having to answer to a label or to other people, then it's like, well, we need an up-tempo or, you know, well, if you're considering radio play, then it needs to be positive right. or whatever it, sound it is. Like this. And right now, yeah. And I, like, I don't have to consider any of that right now. I, all I'm considering is what do I love? What brings me joy? And I am trusting that if I love it this much and I want to put it out that it'll find its tribe and p other people are going to like it. I love that. Too. It's, it's authentic. And it's, you know, it's you, it's who you are. 
Yes, 100%. And um, yeah, so, you know, again, it, it's probably not going to get played on radio. And that, you know, that's different than other music I've made. I, I really wanted to be on radio 10, 15 years ago. Um, but my priorities have just mm-hmm. have changed. And now I, I just want to make music I love um, and just do what I do. And so, yes, it's changed the way I um have produced, you know, produced records. It's it, instrumentally and musically, um, tempo-wise. Like again, I, almost everything I'm releasing is pretty subdued. It's like Netflix and chill, cook right. dinner and drink wine <laughs> to it. I mean, that's kind of the vibe I'm going for um, because that's what I love. And so, you know, I yeah, my attitude has changed a ton. My touring's changed um, a fair amount. It's you know this kind of music doesn't belong in a rowdy bar. You know, I'm not a cover band. Um, I've had great experiences opening um, for big festivals and in stadiums for Blake Shelton and Rascal Flats back in the day when I was at Warner Brothers and had, uh, you know, was promoting that the, the single on radio tour back then. And those were such exciting uh, opportunities. And you know, I was like, I was the third opener. I was the opener of the opener of, of the main act. And when, you know, it's like, usually the house is a third full Mm -hmm. and people aren't really paying attention. And it's, it's really cool cachet to say, Hey, I opened for (laughs) Rascal Flats in a stadium, but you know, I mean, how many, how impactful was that to other people and on my career? Not, not very, you know? And so, I mean, probably, but, (laughs) um, but now, you know, I'm on tour with the Bacon Brothers, Kevin Bacon and his, and his brother, Michael Bacon, and they're playing, you know, six to 800 seat theaters and packing it out. And it's a quiet, dark theater listening room environment. And they come early and they come for the opener and they want to listen to every word and they want to buy merch and they want to support you. And so I'm playing, you know, a 30 minute set to 800 people who are listening and want to be there. And so, um, and that's all because of, you know, of the different choices that I've, I've been making. Right. I'm, I'm that person that will go and pay attention to listen. And I'm like, you all need to stop talking while I'm trying to pay attention to the opener. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's just, you know, me having gone through, you know, being in the music industry, I want to pay attention. But yeah, because I've noticed that too, you go to some shows and it's like, nobody is listening, nobody's paying attention. Oh, it's open or whatever. But, you know, I love the, the more intimate theaters where people are paying attention and people are there for the music. Um, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you've kind of found that, you know, that, that kind of tour that you're on um, where people are really paying attention to you. It's, it has been so much fun and it's interesting because when I was younger, honestly, I was, I was doing music um, partly because I'm, I'm good at it. I'm also trained in it. I majored in it in, in college. And so it's something that I ha- have always excelled in. And so I think people typically naturally gravitate towards doing things they, they excel in and I excel in music, but also having a little bit of success and, and, you know, just kind of getting these opportunities. It's very, um, enticing and, and all of a sudden it can become about climbing the mountain and getting to the next rung of the ladder rather than doing the stuff that's fun that made right. you want to do it in the first place. And so I really started kind of getting in, in caught in that trap of just trying to get to the next rung of the ladder and making decisions out of fear or hustle in a, in a bad way, you know, rather than like really doing what I love. And so now I am doing what I love <laughs> and very um, yeah. adamant about yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so kind of shifting gears a little bit here, I guess a little bit. Um, so, you know, music industry, it's it's difficult to get into and difficult to really kind of find success sometimes. And um, that's why I started uh, my company, uh, you know, and the, and the podcast too, to highlight women in music and to help provide tools and resources um, to women. And I, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of us, um, whether we're on the business side, um, like myself or, or the performance side, you know, being an artist, creative, um, you know, we do seem to meet, um, 
some more resistance. Um, have you come across any resistance as a female musician on tour or in the studio or the writer's seat? Um, you know, other than just the, the general, it's just a hard industry. Um, and if you did, how did you kind of overcome something like that? So I, I do feel like I came across it just in the time that I was, um, being promoted as an artist on Warner Brothers, I was a part of an amazing class of female artists who were also coming out at the same time on major labels out of Nashville. Um, Sarah Buxton, Shelley Fairchild, Tiff Merritt, um, Jesse Alexander. I mean, like just, <laughs> you know, some, some of whom are huge hit songwriters who are the voice, you know, the, the lyric and melody behind a lot of the um, hits, even by a lot of males that, that you hear on the radio today, mm-hmm. they're writing those songs. Um, and they're all amazing artists in their own right and have incredible voices and incredible songwriting chops and all the things. And we were all coming up, um, Emily West. I mean, we were all coming up uh, at the same time, kind of in the same class, if you will. Um, and none of us were getting any meaningful airplay on radio, really. Um, it, and, and it was just starting to turn right around that time into more of that um, male-dominated radio thing, because we had, you know, what I had witnessed uh, in the 90s as a fan, purely a fan, was, I mean, Pam Tillis and Martina McBride and Faith Hill and Shania and, I mean, Sarah Evans, I mean, just the list goes on and on and on of the women that, you know, I could name as my idols and heroes and and were for sure getting airplay. And right around that kind of early 2000-ish time, things started to shift. And so um, for sure, I felt that impact because I, you know, probably for a variety of reasons, and that just being one of them, I, it was harder for me to get airplay. But it was also when I looked around, it was harder for all the females to get airplay. And unfortunately, I do think that's kind of just continued since then. Um, no, I was exactly, yeah, I can sorry, just, you know, you, you kind of see that shift, like, you know, like you said, like, I grew up on 90s country, too. And, and to really see that, and then all of a sudden, it's this I kind of hate to say it, but bro culture <laughs> in, in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're starting to kind of see a shift again, I think, towards some, some females, but you still have that. It's still very male dominated again, still, you know, it's, it's, it's so funny. I was, um, I was on Twitter today and I saw Martina McBride. Um, she tweeted, uh, Hey, I'd love something I'm paraphrasing, but like, Hey, I'd love it if you'd um, follow me on Instagram and, and watch my story there, my Insta story, because I'm on a roll. And so I was like, (laughs) well, I want to know what she's on a roll about. Like, what does that mean? So I go over to Insta and I'm, you know, looking at Martina McBride's uh, story, Insta stories. And she um, started by talking about how she was listening to uh, an old Sarah Evans record and how the songs were making her cry and how much she loved it. And so then the next story, it's like, so I decided to create a playlist on Spotify of country music and let it auto-populate some ideas for me. And when she did that, every single thing it auto-populated was male, a male song. And so she refreshed and more males. And then she refreshed and it, you know, when you follow along in the story, she refreshed 14 times before it gave her one female who was Carrie Underwood, um, right? like surprise, surprise, because she's one of like right. the five who are getting played, right? Um, and she's awesome, but you know, it, she's just one of a few that, that get consistent airplay. And it took 14 oh refreshes just for one female to pop up and the rest were still male. And it was out of searching for Sarah Evans, who's a female. So, you know, why are the algorithms doing that? I don't know. I've I don't found that answer. too. Like I'll go search... Um you know, really any kind of country female artist and, you know, I'll go to their, um, on Spotify, it's the, the play radio. So it plays them and like artists and it's just, it's just, you know, mm-hmm. male after male. And I'm like, I just, I, <laughs> like I clicked on Kelsey Ballerini. Why, why are you giving me, you know, mm-hmm. why, why don't I have, you know, along with that, Maren Morris and Maddie and Tay and, you know, all the other younger female artists that are similar, right? Why am I getting all these men singing? 
Um, so it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's crazy just to, you know, and I know that people are pushing like, you know, more women, but it's, you still, it's, I, and I don't know if it's just a, a, a mindset or I don't know. I don't know. Cause I think they're all very talented. I think every, you know, especially every female who, who makes, you know, music and country should really be recognized. Mm-hmm. Well, even in the Insta stories, Martina went on to say, um, she like highlighted, she's like, this, this is what's auto-populating after 14 times. And then she like screenshot all the females who had just released new music right. in the last like week. Trisha Yearwood, Miranda Lambert, Kelsey Ballerini. I, there were like three or four others that I, oh, mm-hmm. the high women, um, you know, I mean, just really great, solid uh, female artists who deserve to be heard. And, you know, and, and gosh, I mean, there's countless others that we don't even know their names because they're just not even rising to the top to even know about them yet. But, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I guess, you know, just make your own playlist of nothing but females. If enough people did that, maybe the algorithms would change. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. What's all is it? It's, yeah. it's, it's like the cloud. <laughs> no one knows what's in the cloud. Right. And no one knows. What yeah. Is you know, part Facebook, of these algorithms, Instagram, so, all that. It's, I, I don't know. even, I don't, <laughs> I just share stuff and I don't play that game with them. So <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, you have to just kind know, of go searching for it at this point, right? Like, okay. You know, and just kind of, I guess, you know, support each other, right. And share each other. Hey, this, you know, you know, this awesome artist just released an album, you know, go listen to it. And I think we just, you know, that's part of, you know, another part of, of my, my company is just really, um, you know, connecting and collaborating and, and helping other women rise, um, excuse me, to the top, you know, right. Like just, mm-hmm. and it, it's unfortunate, but I think right now we just really need to just be promoting each other and, and highlighting what, you know, we're doing. And um, I remember, I think it was Grammys. I think it was the Grammys um, just witnessing, you know, through social and, um and, and on TV, just seeing the the female artists cheering for each other, right? Like even if they didn't, yeah, even if they yeah, were competing sure. in the same category, just to see, you know, like I, you know, seeing how excited people people were when Casey Musgraves, you know, took home uh, album mm-hmm. of the year, right? Just to see the other female artists who either were nominated or weren't nominated, just really s- supporting her. I think a lot of people think women, you know, we have this catty drama, but you know, really, they were just very supportive of each other. Yeah, you know, and I don't know. I mean, when I when I look around the music industry, at least, I don't really see any of that cattiness going on right now. Um, I mean, really, the only place I see cattiness amongst women are, and I don't watch these shows, but I've seen previews enough to kind of know what they're about. But like <laughs> the Real Housewives or Bachelor. Um, okay, full disclosure: I do watch Bachelorette occasionally and Bachelor in Paradise, but um, you know, occasionally you'll get that you know cattiness there. But I mean, it's some of these like yeah. kind of scripted reality shows um, that kind of perpetuate that. Um, but you know, I don't know. I, I, I hope that that stereotype is is uh, wearing off because. I mean, I, I don't see it at all in um, in in music right now, uh, or or in my life, you know, outside of music. Just the women that I surround myself with and and I'm friends with. I mean, we are we're doing nothing but cheering each other on, and we need each other. I mean, it's like, how do you do all this stuff? Right. I mean, you, you need yeah. your tribe. You yeah, just do. support each other and. And we need men in that tribe as well. I mean, it, this is not like a women's only club. I mean, we need men in that tribe as well. I just, you know, I just don't think that women are quite as yeah, no, each I, other yeah, as, um, you know, I've seen that too. I mean, I don't, I don't really watch any of the reality TV shows or anything like that. But you know, I've definitely seen you know, and, and women who you know, in the past when I think that was really more perpetuated, you know, making up right? Like becoming friends again and, and really, you know, mm-hmm. back to supporting each other. And, and like you said too, like, you know, there are a lot of men out there who really want to support us, um, really want to help us and do what they can to, to, to have us succeed. Um, you know, I have, um, you know, there's a couple uh, men at work, um, who will, they've been super supportive of, of everything that I do and, and, you know, helping me, you know, 
progressed in the company and in my role. And it's, it's amazing to see because you hear these stories of you know, women in, in roles who just get kind of pushed down, pushed down, pushed down. And, you know, I think, you know, for me, I'm very mm-hmm. lucky to have that, to have, you know, these men um, in these, you know, more executive roles, just really like, hey, we really want you to be a part of this. We really want you to, to, to be an ambassador for this. And um, I think it's definitely, yeah. definitely shifting culture and, and um, you know, the way, I guess, people perceive, you know, women in roles. So, yeah. And, you know, I mean, gosh, when I really think back to most of my major opportunities, I mean, like the life-changing, holy cow, catapulted me into a new kind of direction. They've, it's always been men who've, who've given me those opportunities. And, you know, maybe because it was only men who were in those positions at the time. Um, but, you know, they, they did, they, they gave me those opportunities and, um, you know, and, and I was really fortunate to, to see, you know, have a mom who's a small business owner and, you know, she's, I've just always seen my mom, you know, be the boss. And my dad was a small business owner as well, but he worked out of the home. His office was at the home and my mom's was outside of the home. And so my dad cooked dinner and my mom would come home at 630 and he'd make sure dinner was on the table for her at 630. So I've been really fortunate to kind of see um, some, you know, traditional role reversal happening in my life all along. And, um, and so that's been a a big influence on me. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like we've been lucky in that way. Um, so kind of, I guess, moving forward a little bit, um, you know, we kind of talked about your releasing some new songs going forward. Is there anything else that you're looking forward to coming up in the next, you know, six months, year, five years, uh, any plans going forward? Man, <laughs> I'm not good at thinking five years ahead. Six months to a year. then. Uh, <laughs> I just never have been. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I have, um, I would say it is just new music. I'm, I'm working on a holiday um, Christmas holiday project um, that I'm probably going to release next just because of timing. I think that's probably the next thing that'll be on the docket for me and then um, continue to release. I've got about three songs um, kind of in the can waiting, waiting to be released next year. So that's kind of my year plan is to just continue to to keep releasing new music um, fairly consistently. Um, and continuing to write, um, and you know, for myself, but also for for other projects, um, and that I mean, that's that's the big that's the big plan, just to do what I do, and yeah, and do pockets of touring. I don't want to be on the road just nonstop, um, but I I do enjoy um, a few runs, and and again the theater touring and the listening room type touring and even house concerts they're so fun um, I love doing that stuff so I'm sure I'll um, kind of get into booking mode here in the next few weeks and well and if you come to LA that's where I am well. so I will definitely make a plan to come out and see you if that is in your your tour plan so oh that's um, awesome and yeah and I have a couple of friends who I'm sure would love to come out too person, so for sure um yeah, you're welcome. Um, well, thank you. So do you have any resources that you would recommend for the women who want to become a professional musician, um, you know, release music uh, on their own, own or with a label? Man, um, I mean, again, I am totally DIY at the moment. And so um, when I think of resources, I guess the first thing that comes to mind, and it's not specifically for women, it's for every human being on this planet, in my opinion, is the book, um, The Artist's Way. I, it Are sounds familiar, familiar but I, I don't, I haven't read it. The Artist's Way. So Julia Cameron is the author, and I think it's, um, I think it's in its 25th anniversary print edition. And um, it's kind of a cult classic in songwriter communities, um, but it's, it's for you know, it's basically for recovering your creative self. So if you feel stuck or in a rut or writer's block or whatever it is, it helps you kind of just get back into the flow. But also I think so many people um, with jobs that aren't intrinsically creative or they don't think they're creative, um, that's not true. Everyone's creative. And so I think this can be a helpful tool for 
just everybody. But particularly if you're wanting to continue to create music and write and be prolific and keep getting you know your art out there, I so recommend it. It's really more of okay. a workbook than just a book book. So you don't just read it. You, you kind of um, participate and interact with it. Um, and it's awesome. So I would highly recommend it's It's a commitment. I mean, it's like a 12 week chapter by chapter kind of workbook, but I so recommend it. Um, I think it would just help everybody grow. Yeah, I'll um, definitely look into in that, artistry. especially for myself, because, um, you know, I, I write and never thought of myself as a creative. Oh, yeah. So I, you know, really started building this business. I'm like, okay, well, I, I guess I am. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, for sure. And yeah, it's for writers, it's for sculptors, it's for dancers, it's for actors. I mean, this book, it's, I mean, it's for, it really is. It's for everybody. So, um, so anyway, there's, there's one resource. Um, I mean, the other things kind of sound probably not very exciting, but, you know, I mean, I was actually in a workshop this past week with some other writers who um, were kind of asking, well, how do you get your music out? You know, and I mean, I use TuneCore and that might seem kind of, um, basic for some, but I realize that some people don't realize that that's mm -hmm. a way to get music out. So for anyone who might be thinking like, I don't know how to get my stuff on Spotify or Apple music or, or wherever, um, there are online companies, um, you know, CD babies, one TuneCore is what I use and find very, um, user-friendly and helpful. Um, so I mean, there's distribution sites like that. And then, I mean, I just think it's important to have a website and to keep, um, and to keep your socials, you know, going, um, and trying to keep them going in an authentic way. I, I really struggle with social media, like mm -hmm. just the, the <laughs> wanting to do it. Part. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's important. It's like, you know, that's how people know what's going on, but also uh, how people can kind of peek into who you are um, when you're when you're not releasing music because that's expensive and you know effortful. So uh, you know, in between new releases, um, you know, just kind of letting people see see a little. You know, right. I think that's what a lot of people are, really want. I think is important nowadays too is to really you know see how their favorite artists live their lives and, and what they do and yeah. Yeah, I just um, just yeah. <laughs> try to keep selfies. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I so really other than The Artist's Way, um, do you have any other favorite books or podcasts or is there any person in particular that inspires you and your music? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um <laughs> I feel like I have been listening to so many podcasts and reading so many books lately that I can't quite wrap my head around what might rise to the top. But actually, something that did just come to mind, um, Elizabeth Gilbert, uh, the author of Eat, Pray, Love. Um, she also wrote a book called Big Magic. And holy cow, that's another one. That one you can just read and enjoy and devour it. You don't have to participate with it. You can just enjoy it. But it's also, it's all about the creative process, but it's not about the nitty gritty. It's not about like the, the mechanics of writing or creating. It's about the inspiration of creativity. And it's such a wonderful book. I think all um, writers and, and I read it a couple of years ago, um, but I really do want to go back and reread it because um, I was reading it when I was in grad school. And I think at the time mm -hmm. for me, it was just too much with everything I had to do for class and writing and all that. And, you know, I, sure. I heard a lot about it back then and there's kind of like a lull. And then I started hearing more about it again within the last uh, several months, I guess. So I'm like, okay, I need to go back and reread that because, you know, mm -hmm. everyone's saying it had such a big impact. But I think, like I said at the time, I had so much going on that it was kind of like just another thing that, you know, was going, you know, through my head. So I do really want to reread that. Uh, I'm glad to hear mm -hmm. that you recommended that as well. Yeah, I, I actually, I want to reread it. I should go reread it um, just because it has been a while. And I, I do, it was, it was wonderful. Um, and then, um, gosh, I read, I've started reading lately, um, Jonathan Brooke is a is a musician and writer and playwright and just a 
phenomenal woman all around who is a huge hero and inspiration of mine. And I actually, just this weekend, I was in the studio with her. She produced a song, uh, one of the singles I hope to release next uh, year um, on me. And so I'm, I am just, I'm thrilled about that. But she kind of got me hooked onto um, poetry. I mean, just books, just books of, of poetry. Um, and that's been awesome because I've been noticing kind of what we were talking about earlier, just letting things kind of marinate and just don't push it and let it just kind of bubble to the top mm -hmm. and put it away when you need to, and then come back to it. Poems tend to do that for me. I can see where they start to seep into my writing where, um, you know, something somebody may have written 50 years ago or 200 years ago is so profound and just hits you so hard. And then the next thing you know, you're kind of, um, without even realizing it, tweaking it a little bit and it's coming out in song somehow. No, and, it does. And yeah. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it makes sense to me. And I feel like that is, um, I mean, to me, that's like, it's actually kind of sacred. It's like, that is the living kind of consciousness mm -hmm. of, of our humanity just moving forward that, you know, that something from years and yeah. years ago could still be making a, an impact today and get out into the world. And then who knows where it'll go years from now, you know, and just kind of keep morphing. And um, anyway, that, that really excites me. And so I've been reading some poetry and then I'm a huge podcast <laughs> fan. So I was so excited to be invited to um, oh, be a guest. You're welcome. I'm so happy to have awesome. you here. Thank you so much. Um, so other than, uh, in addition to Broken Glass podcast, um, which I do think is phenomenal, and I'm so glad you're doing the work that you're doing. Um, I'm a huge Dak Shepard fan um, and armchair expert. That's been a podcast that I love. Um, and then, man, I mean, you can't go wrong with Oprah's Super Soul. Like, it's just, it's just good. It's just good stuff. Uh, yeah, those two, two podcasts. Um... I've heard of them, but I haven't listened to them yet. So I definitely want to dig into them. I have so many that I have saved already. So yes, like, there's just so much out there now. Um, how I built this that, and on from NPR. I love that one. Like, oh my gosh. There, oh, I'm an Enneagram fan. Are you an Enneagram person? Uh, I've heard a little bit about it and I did take, um, there's the online quiz. I did that, but I really want to dive into it because I really like, um, I do like a lot of the personality tests. So um, yeah. we've done at work uh, one called Insights, um, which corresponds to different colors. So I that's another one. I'm like, I really want to take a look into that one. Yeah, I think um, I've seen on social media some jokes. Like apparently it's a pretty Nashville thing. So like you you might be so Nashville if you're into the Enneagram. But you know, yeah. I live in Nashville, <laughs> so I'm I am a fan of the Enneagram. You're into it, so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right, so let's go into our lightning round here, real quick. Um, mm, there's just a couple mm -hmm. questions meant to be just short. You know, whatever comes to your mind first. Is that <laughs> Don't okay? Be can I be nervous? Yeah, okay. <laughs> you can, but um, just be really quick. Please. So, no. um, the first one: uh, What is one thing that you always have to have with you in the studio? Um, water. I'm pretty basic. <laughs> Hey, I have, like, I have water with me everywhere. So yeah, no, I'd say just just water. Yeah, nothing specific. All right. Um, what is your favorite city to visit on tour? Oh my gosh. Um. Well, uh, Zurich. I, I toured in Switzerland about um, almost two years ago now. I guess a year a year a year ago. I can't remember now. Um, Zurich was pretty amazing and that was my first time touring overseas um so yeah that's at the top of my list zurich switzerland all right uh what is the best hundred dollar or less purchase you've made in your career this year software program i don't know you know what i would say um the the fee from for TuneCore to distribute my new single that is, a, that is a good purchase. It's, it's under it's yeah. under a hundred bucks. And I mean, it's like, it's so nominal to get your stuff yeah. out there. So if you're scared or, you know, don't know how, I mean, just do it. It's, it's not painful. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, that it was awesome. I hadn't released new music in several years. And so that was super exciting. So I would yeah. definitely say the distribution fee. That's good to hear that it's not that pricey too. 
No, um, oh that, I can I think put people off is really the the fees and what's going to cost me and um, yeah, no, it's it's not it's not bad at all. Oh, it's amazing. Um, okay, so physical album download or streaming? Download, download. Um, and what is your favorite album? Like of all time, or the last five years? Or of oh my your, gosh. if you have your, you know, if your own is one of your favorites, or if you have a a favorite How do from you an artist. <laughs> I mean, okay, lightning round, James Taylor Double Live album, Jonathan Brooks okay. Steady Pool, um, Trouble with the Truth, Patty Loveless. I mean, come on, how can you just choose one? I don't know. Yeah, there's that's, a smattering for you. Yeah, that's great. All right. So where can my listeners find and connect with you? Yeah. Um, so uh, you can find me and all the other places you can find me on my website. So it's laurenlucas.com, L-A-U-R-E-N-L-U-C-A-S.com. Uh, um, and there you will find um, a Spotify link, Apple Music link um, to, to find my music. Um, you'll find my Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you know, all the things. So I'm, I'm, I'm everywhere. I'm just under Lauren Lucas. And, and then my social handles are a little different. So um, you can find those through my website. All right. I'll make sure to link to that. So that way everybody can find you and find your music. Um, awesome. Thanks. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. This was awesome. Christy, thank you so much. It was, it was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Broken Glass Podcast. If you like the show and want to know more, visit www.brokenglassmediallc.com, subscribe to the podcast, and don't forget to leave a review. Join me each week to hear new stories, learn all about the tools and resources available to you, and get tips for building a career in music. If you're interested in becoming part of a community of supportive women in music, join our secret community on Facebook at the Broken Glass Collective.